1: It might seem like a lifetime ago, but once upon a time, this three-word phrase was novel. It had never been used as a campaign platform, much less a campaign slogan, until 2016.
2: Lock her up, that's right.
1: it went throughout Trump's 2016 campaign. His supporters answered any mention of Hillary Clinton with a loud stadium chant, lock her up. And Trump loved it. His kids clapped along to it at the Republican National Convention. His future national security advisor was a part of the chorus, even though he was the one who would actually be convicted of a real crime just a few years later. Lock her up over her emails, lock her up. She misused a server, lock her up because she is Trump's opponent. Trump pushed the fantasy of Hillary Clinton's criminality to such an extreme that he made this threat on the debate stage a month before the election.
3: And I'll tell you what, I didn't think I'd say this, but I'm going to say it and I hate to say it, but if I win, I am going to instruct my attorney general to get a special prosecutor to look into your situation, because there has never been so many lies, so much deception.: as
1: Trump became president, he installed this guy, Jeff Sessions, as his attorney general, and the threats to lock her up continued, even during remarks that Jeff Sessions made at a high school leadership summit in DC in 2018.
4: I like this bunch, I got to tell you, you're not going to be backing down. Go get em, go get em. Rather than molding, (laughs) uh, uh,
1: a room full of high school students jumped on the lock her up bandwagon and the attorney general of the United States encouraged them. He laughed. That kind of baseless criminalization of a powerful woman who had committed no crime other than having the nerve to run for president, that whole poisonous movement just took off. And it spread. It wasn't just Hillary Clinton who needed to be locked up. This was Donald Trump speaking to a crowd of Michiganders in October of 2020 about the governor of that state, Gretchen Whitmer, who had instituted a number of COVID-19 health and safety protocols.
3: Get your schools open. The schools
5: have to be open, right?
6: Locker. Lock them all up. A guy like Biden and the Democrats want to keep
3: Michigan locked up, locked down, and closed for business. No, it's so badly hurting your state.
1: Lock her up. Forget Biden and the Democrats. Lock her up because she is the criminal. Governor Whitmer's COVID policies were the thing stuck in the craw of dozens of men affiliated with the Michigan militia known as the Wolverine Watchmen. More than a dozen of those men had plotted to kidnap and hogtie Governor Whitmer at gunpoint, then blow up a bridge, kill police officers, and set in motion a civil war. What stopped them? The FBI arrested them before they could carry it out, exactly one week before President Trump stood in front of that crowd in Michigan, inciting a crowd to lock Whitmer up. And then there are the four Democratic women of color who sit in Congress, both affectionately and critically called The Squad. Back in 2019, when he was still allowed to have a Twitter account, Trump wrote that Congresswoman Ayanna Pressley, Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and Ilhan Omar should go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came. Pressley was born in Cincinnati, Tlaib was born in Detroit, and Ocasio-Cortez was born in New York. Omar was born in Somalia and became a U.S. citizen as a teenager. They are all American citizens and duly elected members of Congress. But that tweet was meant to erase that reality, to suggest to Trump's followers that those women weren't of this place, of our place, of us. This time, it wasn't lock her up. It was send her back. This is what followed when Trump spoke to a crowd at a rally three days later.
3: These Congresswomen... Their comments are helping to fuel the rise of a dangerous, malignant hard left. They never have anything good to say. That's why I say, hey, if they don't like it, let them leave. They don't love our country. I think in some cases they hate our country.
1: Send her back. Since then, each of those congresswomen has been inundated with hate mail and death threats laced with anti-Muslim and racist hatred. A man traveled across the country for a chance to confront Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez. He waited for her in a cafe across the street from her office. The Congresswoman now protectively switches her sleeping locations and uses a 24-hour security detail. Representative Ocasio-Cortez recently told The New York Times that according to party leadership, she and Representative Omar received the most death threats of any members of the House, except for House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, who tops the list. And we saw that. In full display on January 6th, when a mob of Trump supporters who wanted to subvert the 2020 election when they stormed the Capitol in Trump's name. And they came looking for Speaker Pelosi.
4: Nancy Pelosi, <laughs>
1: Where are you, Nancy? It was terrifying to hear, even if you weren't Nancy Pelosi. She was being hunted. And one of the men arrested for breaking into the Capitol that day was indeed looking for Speaker Pelosi. His name is Richard Bego Barnett, and he was actually able to break into Pelosi's office with a stun gun tucked into his pants. He sat on the Speaker's couch and on her floor, and he left her a note that read, Nancy, Bego is here, you bee. Another rioter screamed this when she broke into the Capitol, quote, Bring them out now. They're criminals. They need to hang. Bring her out. Bring Nancy Pelosi out here now. We want to hang that effing B." While that was all happening, Speaker Pelosi was handling business. She was taking charge and she was calling up law enforcement to get more officers on the ground so that Congress could finish certifying the election. She was pleading with Trump officials to stop the violence. That's what Speaker Pelosi was doing while the Capitol was attacked and while Trump watched it all from the White House, trying to manage the country and protect the democratic process. Early this morning, a man seeking to locate Speaker Pelosi invaded her home in California while her husband Paul was there alone. Two sources briefed on the matter told NBC Today that when the man saw Paul Pelosi, the intruder said, where is Nancy? Where is Nancy? She was being hunted again. He then attacked her husband, Paul, with a hammer and tried to tie him up, quote, until Nancy got home. When the police arrived, the man reportedly said, we are waiting for Nancy. A spokesman for the speaker said today that Mr. Pelosi underwent successful brain surgery to repair a skull fracture and injuries to his right arm and hands. A full recovery is a full recovery is expected. And moments ago, the San Francisco police chief held an update on what happened, saying Paul Pelosi was struck at least once with the hammer. And this was not a random act.
4: When the officers arrived and knocked on the front door of the residence this morning, the door was opened by someone inside, and the officers observed through the open door, Mr. Pelosi and the suspect, Mr. DiPapi, inside the entryway of the home. At this time, the officers remained outside of the threshold of the home, and they observed Mr. Pelosi and Mr. DiPapi each with one hand on a single hammer. It was one hammer that the officer observed. Officers, while still outside of the doorway, threshold gave commands to both men to drop the hammer. Mr. De Pappy immediately pulled the hammer away from Mr. Pelosi and violently attacked him with the hammer. The officers immediately entered, tackled the suspect, disarmed him, took the hammer away from him and took the suspect Mr. Mr. Pappy into custody.
1: The suspect is also in the hospital. Authorities say he will be charged with attempted homicide, among other crimes. A few hours ago, the speaker arrived at the hospital to see her husband. She was in D.C. this morning with her protective detail when the man attacked her husband. These calls, explicit calls of violence directed at women who have power, they put leaders like these and their families in real danger. They can lead to real harm. And today we are seeing that all in lurid, terrifying detail. Joining us now is Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Democrat from Minnesota, who is no stranger to these types of violent threats. Representative Omar is one of the most targeted members of the House of Representatives. The sheer number of threats she receives is second only to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, according to data from Democratic Party leaders. Congresswoman Omar, thank you so much for joining us and especially at this critical hour.
6: Thank you for having me. Uh, I wish we, we were chatting and under better circumstances, uh, what what happened to Paul Pelosi is truly horrifying. And my thoughts are with him, Speaker Pelosi, their entire family uh, and and everyone that cares about their safety and, and well-being, including many of us in, in Congress. Um, this is just one of the most scariest things to, to see actually take place, because uh, it is a chilling, chilling reminder for uh, those of us uh, that serving your um, district as with, the, with the family could be uh, really dangerous uh, for them. And um, and I, I do hope that people remember that we are... Um, you know, uh, mothers, um, we are wives, we, are, we are husbands. Um, and there is, uh, there is a need for people to see that human with the family, uh, and not just a political enemy that needs to be attacked. Um, and, and, and I, and I hope that we get to a better place uh, as a country.
1: Are you more scared for your own safety on a day like today, on uh, 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 even tomorrow
6: and beyond, I guess? Of course. I mean, if people are able to get to the Speaker of the House uh, that has full detail with her and has access to the level of security that she does and harm her husband to the point where he needs surgery. Can you imagine how somebody like me that doesn't have capital security detail, uh, that doesn't have the resources to be able to get 24 hour on the clock uh, security detail for my four children, my husband um, and and my relatives. I am mortified uh, and really breathless uh, at this moment. A lot of my family and friends have been sending me text messages saying, I hope you're boosting up security. And there, there are not enough resources for me to be able to do that. We already try when we're doing big public events to pay for that. And you've got the New York Post, you've got Fox News that are constantly mocking us uh, for protecting ourselves uh, when we are doing big events um, because we face imminent danger. The level of death threats that I receive, um, it's not just harmful to to me and my ability to feel safe and to continue to serve my district, but it's harmful to my family. Uh, It's harmful to the psyche of my children uh, who should just remain proud that their mom is a member of Congress and not worry about whether they could get killed because someone is trying to kill their mom and might find them in my absence. It is also dangerous and harmful uh, to Um, Our staff who are often young, idealistic, you know, recent college graduates who just wanted the opportunity to serve. These are very scary times. And I I do hope that political leaders uh, around this country, especially Republicans, uh, whether it is the former President Trump, whether it is Kevin McCarthy, um, whether it is people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, who had uh, a literal rifle in one of her ads, held it up uh, in front of my head, the head of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley. understand that kind of imagery, that kind of rhetoric, all of those things put our lives in danger. I think back to all of the images that we used to watch on TV uh, every election cycle of, Let's do this to uh, Speaker Pelosi uh, and and what it has now produced. We need this to stop. We need Republicans to understand this dangerous rhetoric uh, that they have fueled this hate and violence. It's literally going to take somebody's life. uh, And we're lucky that Paul survived this. But I'm afraid what will happen uh, when they try to come for one of us next. Uh, To to your point about
1: Marjorie Taylor Greene, um, she has previously previously said that Speaker Pelosi is a traitor to our country. She is guilty of treason. She gives aid and comfort to our enemies today. She said violence and crime are rampant in Joe Biden's America. It shouldn't happen to Paul Pelosi. It shouldn't happen to innocent Americans. It shouldn't happen to me. Whether it's Atlanta, Chicago, New York, or San Francisco, we need to fund and support police and end the deadly nationwide crime, praying for Paul Pelosi. What we've seen today is an effort on the part of right-wing conservatives and Republicans, some of them elected, some of them not, to try and fold this into a broader attack on crime, which is, as you know, one of the primary GOP messaging tactics ahead of the midterm elections. Do you sense there is any desire maybe from leadership in the House to change this calculation, to speak more forcefully about the violent rhetoric that is directed specifically and almost always at Democratic women who have gotten some semblance of power in our society or in American politics. Do you think anything changes after an attack like the one we saw in San Francisco?
6: It has to. Uh, This cannot continue. Uh, We shouldn't live uh, in fear. Uh, Just because we've decided um, to serve our country, our constituents uh, and, you know, the 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 ability to and one, the ability to to shape uh, the way in which our country is governed. What the Republicans have put out in those statements that you read to me, I just want the audience to realize that it is dangerous. It is delusional and it is disturbing. This level of deflection that the Republicans are doing really moves us away from actual honest accountability in this conversation. These people are the ones who voted against, right, any sort of accountability for their members who have incited violence against us, whether it is Marjorie Taylor Greene, again, who uses imagery in her campaigning with a literal rifle to our heads, whether it is Lauren Boebert, who says that we are terrorists and we are there to blow ourselves up, or whether it is the countless numbers of Republicans, starting from the former president, who constantly incite hate and violence. I will tell you, I can trace the uptick of the, the level of death threats that I get from their their um, uh, um, rallies or any sort of Fox News or any uh, left uh, right wing media hits that that mentions my name um, and and says that I'm an un- American, there is a direct link to that uptick. This past summer, my office saw a huge uptick in the level of death threats that we are getting. They have to be held accountable. They have to hold themselves accountable. And the American people need to recognize that what is happening to members of Congress, whether it is Republicans who have recently retired um, or been voted out in their primaries, whether it is what what just happened to Paul Pelosi and the fear that now Speaker Pelosi and her family will will live with for a really long time and the trauma that they've experienced, what myself and others uh, have experienced, All of that has a direct linkage. To what Republicans are saying and doing to us every single day. Let me just ask you one more question
1: about how you practically can stay safe. You said you don't have 24 hour security detail. You are the second most I'm going to say hunted member of the House. Is it up to you to get your own security support? Where does that funding come from? I mean, what happens now when you are very much, uh, I wouldn't say, in focus at a time like this, and your family, your children are very much in focus? I mean, what practically can be done to keep you safe?
6: I mean, the reality is the ways in which the laws are written um, and, and the rules are done in in Congress. Unless you are in leadership, you do not get uh, full do- detail. You don't have access to full security. Um, sometimes, when there is a specific plot uh, that the FBI identifies, uh, you will have detail, which is what happened, um, you know, towards the uh, end of the last election cycle. In 2020, when Trump chose to use me uh, as a tool to incite fear and hatred, to energize their base to come out and vote for him, we saw plots to assassinate me and my family uh, come to focus and I was afforded uh, security. But the threats never really went away, and we don't have that kind of access, and we don't have the financial resources to be able to do that um, i am I am not wealthy. I can't hire you know twenty four hour security to protect myself and my family um, and and we certainly don't have enough campaign resources to be able to do that. And uh, So a day like today, again, it is very scary for me, my husband um, and our four children, because it's, it is a realization. You know, we used to theoretically talk about what would happen if they found our children when they came to look for us? What hap- what would happen if they found our loved ones? when they came to look for us, what would happen if they found somebody who looked like us when they were looking to hurt us? And now we know, and it is uh, one of the most terrifying moments. And I I hope that we will have an honest conversation um, that in this moment, we have to think about security differently, that it is not only leadership uh, in Congress that is deserving, that there are some of us um, that that face a level of threat uh, that should be protected because we no longer um, can take uh, you know these kind of um, uh, comments and and incidents uh, and and say this you know this is not something that will not happen everywhere. We obviously can see that these people are highly motivated uh, um, and have. Uh, the resources and the tools to to harm us. I am grateful, I should say, before we end our time to uh, federal agencies, both the FBI and Capitol Police, who diligently investigate the death threats that I get, who have uh, arrested and prosecuted um, many people, uh, some who are still uh, incarcerated, Um, I'm grateful to them, but I'm worried about the ones that fall through the crack and what would happen to us when we come face to face with those uh, people.
1: Minnesota Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, Congresswoman, thank you for your time. Please stay safe. And and let me just say how deeply sorry I am that you even have to think about this, that this is part of your reality as a congressperson uh, dealing with threats to your life and your children's lives should not be part of uh, the American democratic process.
6: Thank you for joining me today. It certainly should not be. Thank you for saying that really.
1: Coming up, we will talk to NBC's intrepid Ben Collins, who spends all day every day consuming right wing disinformation so that you do not have to. What he is learning about the Pelosi attack and the origin of the campaign to watch ballot drop boxes. That's coming up next. Plus, a major development in the Trump-Mar-a-Lago investigation may indicate that the Justice Department has enough evidence to charge the former president. We'll be right back.
0: At KPMG, our people make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG. Make the difference.
4: Where are you, Nancy? We're looking for you, Nancy. Oh, Nancy, Nancy, where are you,
1: Nancy? That, of course, was January sixth, twenty twenty one. This week, the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security published their annual report analyzing domestic terrorist threats in the U.S. They took all the domestic terrorism cases they investigated in 2021 and broke them down by motivation. So racially motivated extremism, anti-government extremism, animal rights related extremism, abortion related extremism and other. For years, the most common type of domestic terrorist attack has been racially motivated. But in the calendar year 2021, DHS and the FBI investigated more anti-government extremist cases than anything else. That's not because last year America suddenly got less racist. It's because we had one giant domestic extremist event on January 6th of last year in which hundreds of people with anti-government extremist views attacked our nation's capital. In other words, January 6th was such a massive assault on our democracy that it skewed our country's domestic terrorism statistics. But rather than disavowing what his followers did that day, President Trump, the person most responsible for spreading the lies that brought those people to the Capitol in the first place, Trump has gone as far as vowing he would give all January 6th criminals pardons for their actions and issue a government apology for arresting them if he one day gets reelected. And then there's this. After the FBI executed a search warrant at Trump's beach club, Mar-a-Lago, in August of this year, President Trump and his allies vilified the FBI itself, pushing the idea that the search, which a federal judge had signed off on, was somehow a corrupt, politically motivated attack. And three days later, a man with an AR-15 style rifle and a nail gun attacked an FBI field office in Cincinnati. We know, thanks to great reporting by NBC's own Ben Collins, that since the Mar-a-Lago search, that man had been parroting Trump's anti-FBI rhetoric on Trump's own social media site, Truth Social. The man called on people to arm themselves, to be ready for combat. We must not tolerate this one, he wrote. He was also, of course, one of those in attendance at the Capitol riot on January 6th. With such a clear line from the big lie to domestic extremist violence, it defies moral logic that people, elected representatives, current candidates, former presidents, that certain people continue to promote election denialism. Today, CBS News obtained yet another report by the Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the National Counterterrorism Center and the U.S. Capitol Police. It warns of a heightened threat of domestic extremist violence that these organizations believe is most likely to come from lone offenders who leverage election-related issues to justify violence. The report from earlier this week also mentioned lone offenders who commit acts of violence motivated by ideological beliefs. It specifically warned that these individuals are often radicalized online and look to conduct attacks with easily accessible weapons. We know the man who allegedly assaulted House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband today used an easily accessible weapon, a hammer. We know he was looking specifically for Nancy Pelosi. But what do we know about his radicalization? What do we know about his life online? Joining us now is Ben Collins, a senior reporter covering disinformation, extremism, and the Internet for NBC News. Ben, thanks for being with us tonight. I know today, um, has been a busy one for you, given your field of expertise and the headline story across the country. Um, what do we know about the assailant's r- online behaviors, what he was reading, consuming, whether he may have been radicalized?
2: Sure. So, so there's a blog, like an old-timey blog mm-hmm. that the police are looking at. And on there you see um, pretty standard QAnon, Pizzagate, the world is run by pedophiles stuff. Mm-hmm. That's what you see. Um, and in this space recently, I do want to bring this up, the, the, t- the person at the top of the list for these people recently is Nancy Pelosi. It's not Joe Biden. Um, they think he's, he's not in control, that there's secretly some sort of you know Obama-led con- coalition controlling things. And then Nancy Pelosi is at the top of it, probably because she's a woman, probably easier for them to attack in their eyes, but also because she's just been around for a decade plus or several decades, but especially a decade plus in this iteration of Trumpism. So. Uh, they view that, so Alex, like, there's this thing called the main character effect. Mm-hmm. It's on Twitter. It comes from a tweet that says, uh, every day on Twitter, there's a new main character and the goal is not to be it. Right. And as you see these events happen, the FBI one, right? Trump said the main character this week is the FBI. You're going to do this thing. That's the
1: focus of your That's anger, or your indignation. Your anger. Yeah, yeah.
2: Guess what happened? Trump said uh, uh, in the last few weeks, Nancy Pelosi becomes this sort of figure at the center of it. Look, look what happens. In Arizona, this Dropbox in Mesa, there's nothing special about this Dropbox. There's a Dropbox in Mesa that is kept uh, watched by people in fatigues, nine people on Wednesday night. Um, why that? Because Trump uh, seven times put on Truth social said stuff about this Mesa Dropbox. There is a main character on the far right every day, every week. The goal is not to be it. Because if you're it, suddenly... There is a violent party coming out to get you.
1: Well, who, so in, in terms of casting the main character, you mentioned Trump. I yeah. mean, is it just Trump? How does it work that the sort of the madding, angry horde online decides that this is the main character? Do the systems work in concert yeah. or does it just have to come on high?
2: So uh, it feeds its way up to uh, major influencers. In the Trump years, the major influence- influencers were just Donald Trump. That was it. It was on Twitter. He could direct the anger to specific people. Now it's sort of diffuse. There's accounts called like Libs of TikTok, which is a big account in that space. Donald Trump is there. Tucker Carlson, obviously, with his show, does that as well. The rumors bubble up on places like 4chan and Truth Social. They sort of workshop it. They use it as like an ammo dump on those spaces. And they bring them over. These big influencers push these narratives at specific main characters who could, by the way, just be doctors. They could be doctors that treat trans kids. That's how you saw... Um, for example, the, uh, the, the bomb threats at Boston Children's Hospital, those are pushed by those influencers. And then those people or, you know, or hospitals or doctors, private figures in some cases, those people become the main character and they become the targets of those threats.
1: In moments like this, Ben, I got to say, when there's actual violence, it's not just theoretical. Yep. You have to wonder whether there's going to be some repercussions for people who are part of a concerted plan, effectively. Yeah. To target individuals, the main character effect. Ben Collins with NBC News. Amazing reporting, Ben. So critical in this hour. Thanks for joining me tonight. Up here, next year, this very busy Friday night, the Justice Department makes a very quiet but very significant move in the Mar-a-Lago documents case. That's next.
0: At KPMG, our people make the difference. It's not just something we say, it's what we do. Combining the power of people and technology, we uncover brighter insights, innovate bolder solutions, and create better data-driven outcomes. KPMG. Make the difference.
1: It was May of last year when the Justice Department unsealed an indictment in the case of an FBI analyst in Kansas City who, according to the DOJ, took over 300 classified documents home with her. Does that remind you of someone else who also allegedly took roughly 300 classified documents home? Small world. In the indictment, federal prosecutors allege that some of these documents, many of them marked secret, included highly sensitive information about al-Qaeda and an associate, a suspected associate of Osama bin Laden, and that the documents revealed sensitive intelligence sources and methods. Two weeks ago, that woman pleaded guilty to two counts of unlawfully retaining documents relating to the national defense she faces up to 10 years in prison. One of the lead prosecutors on that case, who secured that guilty plea, according to The Washington Post today, has been working on the Justice Department's investigation into the former president's handling of government records and classified documents. And his name is David Raskin. The Post calls him one of the Justice Department's most experienced national security prosecutors. Raskin has prosecuted a number of high-profile terrorism cases, including that of a co-conspirator in the September 11th attacks. He is not a bad person to have on your team if you're looking at why exactly the former president took over 13,000 government records back to his beach club. Here's the post. David Raskin has been quietly assisting the investigation into Trump and his aides, according to people familiar with the matter. The addition of Raskin to the team is another indication of the seriousness with which the Justice Department and its officials view the case and underscores the high stakes for both Trump and those tasked with investigating him. The reported addition of Raskin to the Trump Mar-a-Lago documents case is signaling to all of us, buckle up. But The Washington Post also reports that this signals some potentially bad news for someone in particular. National security law experts say prosecutors have amassed evidence that meets some key criteria for charging the former president. That news from The Washington Post comes just one day after three Trump lawyers were spotted leaving a D.C. federal courthouse. CNN and The Wall Street Journal later reported that the lawyers were at the courthouse to participate in a sealed hearing to discuss the FBI's concerns and questions as to whether or not they've retrieved all the government records that were taken from the White House. Friendly reminder here, those documents, according to The Washington Post last week, include secret information about Iran's missile program and secrets about China. So it's full steam ahead for the Justice Department's investigation into Trump's handling of government records. And let's not forget that is just one of the two investigations into the former president that are being run out of main justice spooky more to come today's violent attack on paul pelosi the spouse of house speaker nancy pelosi has thrown into sharp focus the dangers faced by our nation's elected leaders and their families It also serves as a reminder that politically motivated violence in America isn't new. It's in some cases as old as the country itself. On May 22, 1856, when the fight over slavery spilled out onto the floor of the Senate, pro-slavery Democrat Preston Brooks used a walking cane to beat abolitionist Republican Charles Sumner. He beat him bloody over speech condemning slavery. On June 2nd, 1919, an anarchist blew up the front of the newly appointed attorney general's home in Washington, D.C. That was part of a series of coordinated attacks on judges and lawmakers and law enforcement officials in eight cities that day. On March 1st, 1954, an attack in the U.S. House of Representatives. This
2: is it.
5: In Washington, D.C., ruthless fanatic violence erupted in the halls of Congress. Three men and a woman believed to be members of the Puerto Rican nationalist gang that in November 1950 attempted the assassination of President Truman opened fire from the visitors gallery of the House of Representatives. Five congressmen were hit.
1: The four people arrested in that shooting were Puerto Rican nationalists who wanted the shooting to draw attention to their call for the island's independence from the U.S., And then there are, of course, the assassination attempts directed against U.S. presidents, the planted bombs and the plots to kidnap or kill Abraham Lincoln, the man who wanted to rig himself with sticks of dynamite and blow himself and John Kennedy up in Palm Beach, Florida. He told reporters he wanted to kill the president because of, quote, the underhanded way he was elected. And yes, we know that later attempts on the lives of Presidents Lincoln and Kennedy were successful. So this country has a long history of violence. But what's happening today appears to be something entirely different. We are in a new era. And that is evidenced by how much these threats against lawmakers have multiplied. Look at these figures released by the U.S. Capitol Police. After Donald Trump took office, threats against members of Congress skyrocketed. From 902 in 2016 to a whopping 3,939 just one year later. And it shows no signs of stopping. Last year, that number was 9,625. These threats are reinforced by disinformation and lies and a grift that predicates itself on fomenting anger, hysteria, and paranoia. And yet, even in this disturbing climate, there is very little protection for lawmakers who are at the center of the storm. The New York Times reports that members of U.S. Congress are digging into their own campaign funds to pay for their security. And one lawmaker who is all too familiar with threats of violence is Michigan Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. She has faced a barrage of threats since 2019, which was the year she voted to impeach Donald Trump. Since then, she has had her office broken into and vandalized. She has been threatened by men with assault rifles outside of her home, and she has received multiple threatening voicemails. Joining us now is Democratic Michigan Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. Congresswoman Dingle, thank you so much for making the time to be here tonight. Um, I'd love to get just right to it. I know that you're a longtime associate of Speaker Pelosi. Have you had any conversations with her? Do you have any indication about how she is feeling at this moment?
3: Well, I have not. I mean, I, I'm trying to respect their request for privacy right now. Though I've obviously reached out to uh, to staff and to community. Uh, I but the reports are that he is doing okay after surgery and he's going to be okay. But my heart goes out to the family, but I'm really worried about the country tonight, Alex. I'm going to say that to you. This is, you talked about the history but I think it, right now we have a very clear and present danger to our democracy is what we are witnessing.
1: Yeah. And I think some people want to pretend that this is part of a natural cycle of violence in American society when it feels very, very, very different. It feels like we're making a hard right turn into very dark, very dangerous, existentially threatening territory. I've got to ask you, do you think the conversation is going to be different inside the halls of Congress? Because so much of this seems to be stemming from the people. People inside the Capitol who are fomenting paranoia and conspiracy and calls to violence.
3: You know, I I think that there are some members that are doing that. But I also want to make this really clear that I think you talked about Look, my threat started after President Trump went after me. But it isn't just the Congress right now. And there are Republicans and Democrats who are getting these threats. We are normalizing the kind of hate and fear we see pitting us against each other. But there are people I've talked to people this this last month who are going to school board meetings wearing bulletproof vests. It's happening at all levels, from city councils to school boards to the halls of Congress. And we can't normalize it anymore. Rage is becoming acceptable. Social media, you've got kids being bullied in schools. You have people anonymously going after everybody. We have got to realize it's becoming normalized in our communities. And while we can, you know, hope that some people inside the Congress will stop, it is much broader. And we have got to stand up to this hate as a nation and in our communities or we are in real trouble.
1: I got to say, the people who are directing supporters to go to those city council meetings and school board meetings, in a lot of cases, are conservatives who want to see books banned. They want to see language not used in schools. They want to see change at the local level because they've effectively weaponized municipal politics. I mean, do you think (laughs) you're in Michigan where there are a lot of
3: militias? Do you think this problem gets worse before it gets better? What I'm hoping is that people are going to stand up to it. We've got to do that. I do have militias. It was the militia that was outside my house. Look, I'll be honest, you know it. Uh, and when the January 6th was not the first time that men showed up at capitals with assault weapons, they went to the Michigan State Capitol first. And when I uh, said that they didn't belong there, it wasn't appropriate. Uh, uh, it, and then Tucker Carlson went on a total rant on me that night. That's when the men showed up with assault weapons. But I think we got to stand up to this hate where we see it. And I want to make it clear. Yes, there are, there is this group. It is, uh, uh, many of them are conservatives. There are others that out there are just stirring the pots and stirring misinformation, but they are going after Republicans. They are, this is not just, there is a group, a minority or a group of haters That is pitting us against each other. And I am watching it. You are correct right now in the last month. The town that was my hometown for years has been pitted against each other. And I've spoken out very strongly about it and did again tonight in that community that you must stand up to hate. You can disagree agreeably that we all have to treat each other with civility and respect. And if we don't, we are in real danger.
1: The rage is indeed terrifying. Something needs to change. Democratic Michigan Congresswoman Debbie Dangle, thanks so much for your time tonight. Thanks for making time for the show. Thank you. We'll be right back.
0: That does it for us tonight. At KPMG, we make the difference. It's not just something we say. It's what we do. Our professionals believe in the value of collaboration and the power of technology. We work closely with clients to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity, develop bold solutions that innovate industries, and create better outcomes driven by data. Brighter insights, bolder solutions, better outcomes. It's how our people make the difference, driving growth and value for our clients. KPMG, make the difference.